Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for this Lord's Day. Oh God, you are so good to us to set apart one day that we may rest from our labors, that we may rest in the finished work of Christ, that we may assemble as your people and worship you. And so we rejoice in that. We ask on this day, as we have gathered to look at your word and to look at the wisdom of Proverbs, that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, where we left off is uh, we were looking at uh, what areas of our lives are benefited by knowledge. And, and again, we're talking about that knowledge of God, not knowledge necessarily as the world defines it, but the knowledge of God and what areas of our, our lives are benefited from that. Um, you may recall that the first thing we looked at is our speech has benefited from this knowledge. The knowledge of God guides our tongue guides uh, how we use our speech. Secondly, and related, listening. The knowledge of God guides us in, in understanding how to listen according to the ways of God. Thirdly, we looked at discipline. And then fourthly, we looked at prudence. Where we lift off is the, the last two on the outline last week was patience and strength. Patience and strength. So this would have been number five and number six. And so the question is, how does the knowledge of God help us with patience? Proverbs 19.2, and I don't believe I have this on your handout, but if you have your handout from last week, you'll still have this. But this is Proverbs uh, chapter 19, verse 2. Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So let's start with the first part of this, even though it doesn't necessarily relate to patience, but let's make sure we understand the proverb. Desire without knowledge is not good. Why? Why is desire without knowledge not good? Get in over your head very quickly. That's a great way to put it, isn't it? The knowledge of God is, is knowing God and knowing His ways, and knowing His Word and how He's revealed Himself. Is, is my desire unguided by the ways of God? Well, I can get, under, I can get in deep water. We'll keep with the, with the idioms here. Uh, I can get in deep water very, rather quickly, can't I? I can be on a path that I don't need to be apart from uh, the ways of God and, and unguided by this knowledge of God. And so desire, desiring something without the guidance of the knowledge of God leads to not good. And then the second part of that verse, whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Now, this is, this is beautiful poetry, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, it's just saying something very simple. If, if I'm on, uh, on a hike in the mountains, and if I uh, move uh, a little too quickly, if I am hasty on my path, I can lose my way. We were hiking in the, in the mountains of, of uh, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado uh, when uh, John David, uh, my oldest son, and Claire were uh, still dating. They weren't yet married. Um, did I mention that, that I have a granddaughter? Did I mention that? that okay. 
not sure if I brought that up or not, that my second grand, granddaughter, uh, Ellie, was born to John, David, and Claire. Anyway, so this is back when they're dating, and we're hiking in the Rocky Mountains. And it is a long, long hike. How, how long was that? The over to... It, long, long time. I mean, it, it, it was... It, so, so knowing this, and as a man on a mission... I'm, I'm moving along, and, and John, David, and Claire still dating, and they're in love, and they're just, you know, the birds are singing, you know, just da-da-da-da-da. They're just walking along, and, and I'm, I'm getting agitated because I know how long this hike is, and we got to get there and get back. Forget about the scenery and the beauty and the whole thing. we got to get this done. And so I'm on my way, and, and we, following the path, drop down into the river because I'm assuming that anyone knows that if you're going to see something beautiful that's on a river, you've got to go down to the river. Fork in the road, John, David, and Claire, love is in the air, take the other path. And they go a long way on another path and, and they got lost. And uh, thankfully, there was a man that lived up there in the mountains that was out on his four-wheeler, and he, he went and found them and told them they'd gone the long way. Um, I did not, at that moment, get the Father's Day award of watching out for your kids. They were, they were both really angry with me, and appropriately so. Uh, why? Well, because in my haste... What had I done? I had not helped them with guidance and knowing that this is the path that we are, are to take. And so we all know this, and every one of us would have an example just like this of how haste leads uh, to missing the way. We get that, but that's not really what the poets, the, the sage is talking about here, is it? No, let's take it now from the poetic metaphor and apply it to our lives. How does haste lead to missing our way? What would be an example to this? Because we're really talking about patience here, aren't we? If I had exercised patience with my children, I would have been a better guide, a better leader. We wouldn't have missed our way, so forth and so on. So we're really talking about patience. What are some examples, not hiking examples, please, uh, but real life examples of how haste leads to missing our way? Yeah, that's, a, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in business, both of you are, are, are businessmen, business, we call that due diligence, right? Without proper due diligence, you can, you can make mistakes. Uh, you, can, you can miss the way, so to speak, if, if you don't give proper due diligence to a matter, right? What else? What are some other examples of how lack of patience and how... Do, Yeah. Uh, you know, all through life, business, whatever, friendships, when you want to go do something, there's a red flag and you just don't do it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, sometimes we don't pick up on red flags when we're moving so quickly. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point. So how does this relate? How, how does uh, our haste and missing the way, how does this relate to the knowledge of God?
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We, we can move so quickly that we're, we're not considering uh, God's Word. We're not considering what God says on a matter. Um, we, can, we can be so reactionary that we forget uh, what God has said. And, and so, so the point is, is that the knowledge of God uh, informs, and, and again, if you're wanting to see in this proverb, and I realize, again, you don't have it in front of you on your outline, if you want to see how these two parallel clauses form together, the point is, desire without knowledge is not good, meaning our desire can drive us to move in a hasty way a way without patience, the, the knowledge of God needs to inform this so we don't miss our way. That's the general idea of, of the proverb. Number six, strength. Proverbs 24, 3 through 5. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A rich man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might." Now, this, this is, again, beautiful poetry. We have a lot of words that could mean different things that the poet here is using as synonyms. And so the general idea is, first of all, wisdom is built by, uh, rather, a, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. The, the sage here is poetically using those two words as synonyms. Wisdom and knowledge, in this sense, mean the exact same thing. And he's saying what? Well, in order to, to build a house properly, you need to understand how to do it, right? Secondly, to establish it, meaning to establish it moving from uh, merely a structure to, to a home, requires wisdom. And you don't have to read any sort of evangelical uh, things into this uh, as some sort of mystery or insight as to the wordplay here. It's just pretty simple. The poet is just simply saying, got to know what you're doing, boy. Right? That's what he's saying. And then, knowledge, the rooms are filled, once again, a synonym. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The idea here is that it gets built, it becomes a home, it gets outfitted or decorated, we might say, and all of this requires, we'll just use the general term, understanding. But then, the sage brings in a parallel. A wise man is full of strength. Huh, what in the world does this have to do with this building of a house? And a man of knowledge enhances his might. What does it mean a wise man is full of strength? Does this mean that he's got wisdom for working out? Does this mean that his wisdom gives him bulging muscles? There's not a wise man in this room. (laughs) What does this mean? A wise man is full of strength. Yeah, so we're not talking about physical strength, right? So we're talking about some form of strength. So strength is a a metaphor, uh, talking about probably a strength of wisdom, right? And as you say, he's he's well-positioned. That was the word you used, wasn't it? Yeah, he's well well positioned to to use this this strength of wisdom that he has by virtue of his wisdom. 
And then the second part of that, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Wisdom and knowledge are synonyms here. He's meaning the exact same thing, but the, to convey a general idea. How, is a man of, how does a man of knowledge enhance his might? Once again, the might here is not talking about physical might, is it? Metaphorically used, it's a synonym for strength. So this is a poetic parallelism in which the sage is saying essentially the same thing but from two different perspectives. A man of strength, I mean rather a man of wisdom is full of strength. A man of knowledge enhances his might. The general idea is he who is wise knows he hasn't reached the end. He needs more. In fact, we all need more, right? And the general understanding here is, is that a wise person knows how much they don't know. A wise person knows how limited they are on their wisdom. You, you, you ever met the, the person, we used to say in business, um, often wrong but never in doubt? You ever met that person before? I mean, they, they've got it all figured out. They, they, they know it all. And not only that, they are on a mission to carry out what they seemingly don't know. That's a dangerous person. We encounter these people in our lives all the time. But a man or woman of wisdom knows what they don't know. They know that there are limits to their knowledge. They know that there are limits to their wisdom. And by virtue of that knowing, then they grow more in wisdom because they, in the case of the previous proverb, they, they know to have patience when they should have patience. They know to have prudence to look at what we looked at last week, when they should have prudence and discipline and listening and speech and so on and so forth. And, and so the general idea here, and it's sort of similar to the way that uh, John Calvin starts his Institutes of the Christian Religion, which I always say surprises most people that have uh, claimed to be Calvinists but have never read Calvin, um, but, but they're often surprised to find in the very beginning of Calvin's Institutes, he says, and this is the Arkansas paraphrase, you better learn yourself if you want to learn anything about God. You, 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 better, you better know yourself. You better know what your pitfalls are. You better know what your weaknesses are. You better know what kind of trouble you can get yourself into because you are a problem. God is not. And so if you want to study God, you've got to, oh, first of all, start in understanding what the, proverb, what the sage is teaching us here. That a wise man is full of strength. A man of knowledge enhances his might. He grows in strength by the wisdom that he has. So he grows as he learns more and more by understanding. All right, so that concludes then what the knowledge of God uh, teaches us. Let's now flip this because this topical study was talking about the knowledge of God and the naive. Now, no one in here wants to be the simpleton. 
No one in here wants to be the naive. So what are the defining characteristics of the naive so that we can protect ourselves against being that very person? Well, in no particular order, let's start with number one I have on your outline, and that is disobedience. Disobedience. And look at this proverb. For the simple are killed by their turning away. Now, we're going to look in the next point at the second half of that proverb. I'm just drawing your attention to the first half here. For the simple are killed by their turning away. Now, let's understanding first of all that this could literally be referring to killing. Um, someone who is naive, someone who is simple-minded, could do something, could result in their death. But more than likely, this is metaphorical, isn't it? So the metaphorical expression, are killed, means that they could move into doing something that could result in something very bad for them, could result to their detriment. The idea of turning away also is a metaphor. To turn away from what is right is to disobey, right? To turn to what is right is to obey. The idea is is that, that God's way is right. I'm turning away from it. And so I'm turning in disobedience away from the ways of God. And interestingly enough, you would think that this would describe the disobedient. It would seem that would be the most logical. But the sage says, no, I'm describing the simpleton. I'm describing the naive. And here's how you know a simpleton. They're disobedient to the ways of God. They're disobedient to the ways of God. But closely related to that, look at number two. Complacency. Complacency. And the second half of that same proverb says the complacency of fools destroys them. Now, in terms of, of, of defining terms, uh, fool can be used interchangeably with the simple within the Proverbs. I know that we've already looked at a specific study on the fool, and the fool is one of the, the primary characters throughout the entire book of Proverbs. But here... The the sage is using those terms synonymously. Simple is the fool. These are parallel clauses within the same proverb. So for the simple are killed by turning away, by their disobedience. The complacency of fools destroys them. Again, note the metaphorical language. In In the first clause, they're being killed, right? In the second clause, they're being destroyed, In the first clause, they're being killed for their disobedience. In the second clause, what do you think they're being destroyed for? I wouldn't have said complacency, would you? But the sage says for their complacency. So, let's think about this. If a simpleton's disobedience leads to their either actual or metaphorical death, How does complacency lead to their destruction? How does complacency lead to their destruction? No growth. growth? Yeah, I'm just going to. I'm just going to get through life. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, not growing in wisdom, just, just letting life happen to them, right? One day after another, life just happens to this person as opposed to desiring God. Yeah, it's good. What else? How does complacency lead to destruction? Yeah, yeah, that's a general idea, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of, I mean, here's the thing, and I think it was, I, I think it was John MacArthur that said, so, and if it wasn't him, it was somebody else. I'm really, we'll just attribute to R.C. Sproul, because he's Presbyterian, he was Presbyterian, right? Um, so we'll take it from the Baptist, give it to the Presbyterian. Um, I th- one of those guys, you know, smart guys, uh, said that, um, Covetous is a sin, but there are some things that we may covet. And the general idea was that it's not a sin to always be desiring to grow in the Lord. That should be a desire of every Christian. We should have a strong, unhindered desire to grow in godliness, for, for example. And uh, so, so the status quo of, well, you know, this is, this is as far as I am in my Christian walk. I'm pretty, I'm pretty satisfied with this. Said no faithful Christian ever, right? Yeah, satisfaction is not what, we're not to be satisfied on where we are uh, or, or, or maintain the status quo, what else? Any other uh, other examples of how complacency leads to destruction? Something like if you're not moving forward, you're moving back. Mm-hmm. Kind of deal. That's right. If you're not making an effort or, or not responding in a positive way, then you're... That's exactly right. Yeah, and not, not just that. If you think about our lives in terms of our examination, um, just... A quick survey. Um, how many of you are susceptible to specific sins on a daily basis? Just, just quick raise of hands. Okay. All right. If you didn't raise your hand, you are a bold-faced liar, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Here you are. Complacency. We wondered who you were. Uh, now we know. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no. But here's the thing. We, we are. We are all susceptible. As I've said before, I have the amazing skill of sinning in between teaching Sunday school and preaching a sermon. It's a gift, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, oh, you have it too. So we're both gifted in this, right? Um, and, and so, by virtue of that, I must prepare myself. I must actively know that I am susceptible to certain sins. And so I must be wise in what I do. I must be wise in the paths I take. I must be wise in what my day looks like and so forth and so on. In other words, I can't be what? Complacent. That's complacent. So the the, the naive, the simpleton, does the opposite, right? Just life happens to them. They don't think through what their errors are, what their susceptibility is. I am, I am amazed, and I don't want to get on a, a diatribe on this, but I am amazed in the lives of addicts 
how often this is a recurring theme. And if you have any, any good friends uh, or maybe even family members that are, that are addicts, you know what I'm talking about. My friends that struggle with addiction, I am amazed how complacent they can be in terms of putting up roadblocks in, 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 in areas that you and I would just go, well, you just, you know, you just, you just, don't, you just don't go there, you know? So anyway, all right, number three, indiscretion. In discretion. Proverbs, uh, I didn't print this on your handout, and I'll tell you why. I think I abbreviated it, didn't I? Um, okay, so it's a long passage, and for those of you that are, are students of the Bible, that read through the Bible every year, you're going to be very familiar with this passage. I'm going to read to you the whole passage so we can understand it in context. Proverbs 7, 6 through 23. However, as I get ready to read it, I want you to hear this in looking at the simpleton. Oftentimes we will read this and we'll think about the, the wayward wife or the prostitute or sexual temptation or things of this nature. But I just want you to listen to what I read to you through uh, the perspective of the naive, all right? For at the window of my house, this is the sage speaking, he's watching out his window and he sees this person. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens with Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come and let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he falls follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. All right, so a couple of things to add to this. Um, most scholars of the Proverbs believe that while this can be applied literally, more than likely, the sage is talking about wisdom and foolishness. So more than likely, the, the prostitute or the wayward wife here is a metaphor for foolishness. Uh, and and certain, there are certain characteristics of the language that I won't go into unless we have time uh, that, that help with this, with help us understanding this. But in general, it could be applied literally, but so also... Note here the temptation of 
foolishness. Foolishness is so attractive. It's like sin. And it note here, on every corner, she's been there, hasn't she? Meaning that the sin of foolishness is just waiting to pounce. And she is beautiful. And she looks good. And she smells good. And she's enticing. And she's available. And everything else that comes with the sin of foolishness. You're seeing now how uh, this can jump outside of and better be better understood uh, metaphorically in teaching us. But I told you to keep your eyes on the simpleton. What do we learn about this young man? Which I might add, remember, scholars believe that the Proverbs were originally written to young men in training within the royal house. And so, this is really talking to this guy, but it, now it applies to all of us as well, right? It's not just a man, it's all of us because we are all enticed to sin against our God. And so, what are the characteristics of this young man? What, what, what do we know about him? Stay with the story. I'm sorry, go ahead. Void of understanding, right? I looked out, looked out through my window, and what did I see? He's a, a man lacking sense. Isn't that interesting? A man lacking sense. Now, how does the sage know that this boy lacks no sense? And that's right. That is exactly right. He knows where he shouldn't go. He goes there anyway. My goodness, everybody knows that woman is going to be there. And he knows it too, doesn't he? It's like, you know, oh Lord, help me fight temptation as I walk into my sin. Right? Well, that's stupidity, right? And that's what the, the sage is saying here. Stupidity is a lack of sense. Yeah. Could be, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, an attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to go and look at something you shouldn't look at. Yeah, that that's a good metaphor to apply to this. That's right. I'm gonna talk about that in my sermon today, so I'm gonna try not to say anything else. <laughs> what else? What else do we know about him? We know he lacks sense. We know that that lack of sense is, is shown to us by him going where he doesn't go, well, I mean, where, he do, where he knows he shouldn't go. But what else? Yeah, his heart and his mind are in the wrong place, right? It, it seems as if his lack of sense is leading her, him where he shouldn't go. There are a couple of things there, by the way, too. There are some clues uh, in the poetic language of this in which he's also there at a time of day. He shouldn't be there. He's also there at a time that he would be susceptible. Note. The, and you don't have it, I think, in front of you, but one of the emphasis is, is in darkness, right? What, what some parents say to their kids, nothing good happens after midnight. In the Clayton house, we say nothing good happens after 8.30 <laughs> or 8 o'clock, right? 
right? What, what else? What are some of the other things that we learn about him? Did you notice he says nothing? He's silent. Who does all the talking? No, the woman. Look, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. This is just brilliant about the enticement of sin, isn't it? I've done something good today. I've, I have. I've, I've done something good. It's, it's sort of, you know, God says I should do it. I did it, right? Sort of that justification. Well, this is, this is okay. This justification for sinning. Hmm. How many people justify their sin because of things just like this? Hmm. Secondly, she says, I had to pay my vows, same thing. I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. Meaning what? You're the most special person in the world. I am here for you and you only. I've been waiting on you. I've been watching you. I've been searching you out. Oh, doesn't our sin know us oh so well? As I've, I've said, said before, is somebody said, uh, you know, well, the devil made me do it. And I said, I doubt it. Your flesh is a professional. <laughs> Your flesh doesn't need any help from the devil. It can do just fine on its own. Uh, our flesh knows us oh so well. And so, so this woman is speaking these words. He never says a word. He never puts up a defense. He never even calls anything into question whatsoever. And that's why at the last part of this proverb, the sage says and uses several different poetic metaphors so we get the picture, right? Like an ox to the slaughter. Huh, not a good situation. Well, like a, a stag, like a, like a deer that has been caught and somebody's going to shoot an arrow in it while it's caught in a trap. Well, that's not good either. Like a bird rushes into a snare as a bird gets trapped in, uh, in, into a trap. All of these pictures he is painting for us as you can't get out of it once you get into it. Right? I'll only go this close to the sin that I struggle with. <laughs> no, you won't. Uh, right? And so the general idea is, is that we are to have God-given discretion. We're to know what our, our susceptibilities are. We're to know what our struggles are. We are, as Calvin encourages us, you better know yourself. You better understand yourself and your susceptibilities if you un understand the knowledge of God. The simpleton is, lacks discretion. The simpleton does not know themselves or refuses or is complacent to the point where they don't examine themselves to understand their susceptibilities that they may keep themselves. Number four, and that you would think that uh, this would be, this is kind of like stating the obvious, that the naive is gullible, um, right? But uh, look at Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Huh. What? 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 <laughs> we may not finish on time today. What, what does it mean? The simple believes everything. 
Don't know any better? Now, hold on just a second, because I heard that Wayfair retailer is shipping child sex slaves into the United States with the help of Joe Biden. Whoops, I just said that on video. Did you hear that too? Can you believe that? You, you, would, you would think that somebody would do something about this. Come on, let's get angry. Let's get up in arms. Let's get all about this. Duh. Right? That's my, that's my pastoral response. Duh. Naive. Are you that gullible? Are you so gullible you're going to start believing conspiracy theories? Whew. Turn off right-wing radio. Turn off left-wing radio. Wherever that stuff's coming from, stop with the weirdos. Come back to sense and have some mental discipline. That's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. And I realize I may have offended half of you here today. Well then, come on into the party. Let's all get offended together because we are naive when we believe everything. We need to, wait for it, question everything. Stop. Pause. Think about it. Look at it. Ask for research. Understand. Understand. Dig. And then, what's it say about the prudent? The prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Now, these are parallels, but they can also be understood mutual, mutually exclusive in the poetry of this proverb. In other words, the first part is teaching us a separate subject. But it can also be applied to how we live our lives, right? In other words, what this is saying is, is that as we grow in our godly knowledge... We learn discretion. We discipline our minds. We learn that we can't believe everything that we hear. In fact, we're probably not going to believe most of what we hear. And we're going to put up defenses within our minds and within our hearts to push back against all of the nonsense in the world. And we're going to apply that to our lives so that, look at the second half of the proverb, so that we may make wise steps. And steps are a metaphor for what? What are, when it says that he gives thought to his steps, what, what is that a metaphor for? Yeah, his actions, the way he lives his life, right? He, he, he is a, he's a prudent person. He's giving thought into what he or she is doing, living out their lives. Why? Because they're a person who is not gullible. They're not naive. What is their caution against that? They don't believe everything. They don't believe uh, everything. All right. We are, we've got three more here, I think, don't we? No, we don't. Okay. Um, okay, we're going to have to stop there. Uh, next week, what we'll look at is how may we avoid the pitfall, the, the pitfall of naivety and its consequences. Yeah, that'll be a good good place for us to pick up last week or next week rather. So let's uh, let's do that. All right, let me pray for us. Our gracious God in heaven, um, you are the God who has made us. So also as our Father, You have redeemed us. And You have redeemed us to be Your children. And Your desire is that we know You, but so also that we have the knowledge that You give us. And so we ask that we would be uh, blessed by Your Holy Spirit to be a people of wisdom. 
Help us to know our ways. Guide us. Let us not be gullible. Let us not be be naive. But we ask that you would give us discretion. That you would give us a holy desire to grow and continue in our growing in you. That we would be a people who are not characterized by disobedience, but by obedience. And so we ask, Lord, help us to be people of wisdom. Guard us from naivete. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.